0: Hey, Nina Rao here, producer of NPR's Book of the Day. It's August, and we're taking a little time off. While we do, we're sharing some of our favorite episodes from this past year. This one is from March. And we're back with new episodes next
1: week. Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. I hated reading as a kid. I thought it was stupid and boring, and why read when you could watch TV? You know, why waste time on the Phantom Tow booth when it didn't have anything to do with Power Rangers? <laughs> Today, we've got two kids' books that really hammer home the importance of kids reading and what it can do for them. In a bit we'll hear from Adam Rubin, whose story collection about ice cream invites young readers to add a story of their own. But first, you've probably heard of the 1619 Project, the collection of essays and poetry and scholarship that has really reframed the centrality of the Black experience to America. Important work, but it's dense. So author Nicole Hannah-Jones got together with Renee Watson to turn it into a picture book, and the folks at All Things Considered put together this piece of the two of them talking about how important it is to give Black kids a way, a language to talk about their history.
3: Born on the Water puts Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Nicole hannah Jones's 1619 project in the hands of young readers. It's a picture book she wrote in collaboration with Renee Watson. The book starts off with a young black girl receiving a homework assignment where she is asked to trace her roots and draw a flag that represents her ancestral land. At first, the little girl feels ashamed. She doesn't know where her family came from, but her grandmother has answers for her and tells her the story of the tuckers of Tidewater and Anthony and Isabella enslaved together on a plantation they married and had a son named William.
4: Renee, we had discussions about the line in the poem about the Tuckers of Tidewater, particularly the line about William Tucker being the first American child. And that really came from this idea that we are a people who was born on the water, that we were a people who were forced across the Middle Passage, uh, many of us speaking different languages or different dialects and coming from different regions of West and Central Africa and from different peoples. But in the whole of the slave ship, we have to become a new people. We were severed. We were kind of born in the womb of the ocean. So when I thought about that, I thought, well, the first black child born in America or what would become America doesn't have any other country. It's gone. That is a race. We are starting a new people here, not losing what we brought in our minds from the continent, of course, but that we are a people who no longer have any other country but here, and that that makes William Tucker the first actual American child because he was a product of this new country that was coming to be in a way that an immigrant from England was not, in a way that um, Native people were not. And so to me, it's a provocative thought. And I wanted to be intentionally provocative there, but also Uh, to give us Black Americans a a lineage. I mean, everything that this country tried to do to us through slavery, what they didn't realize is they created the most American people of all.
5: I love the idea of a sense of pride in America, too, because I feel Black Americans can be torn with our love for this country and our ownership of it and believing that we built the country and that this is our country. And so, something that was powerful to me in that moment and then of course at the end when we have baby girl thinking about all the people who've come before her and now she's joining them and what is she going to do and seeing her draw the flag beaming with pride was just a powerful moment too to say to young people to young black americans you belong here country and you, your people built this country and have fought for it and continue to fight for it. And I thought that that was an important thing to include in the story as well.
4: Absolutely. And especially what we took so much care to do was that, yes, the building was physical, but the building was also intellectual and the building was also cultural. And the building was about uh, creating a country that has, uh, at least in the law, equality, because so often, as we know, the only contribution that is recognized that Black Americans have offered this country is our labor. And that labor was critical and that labor was important, but that we offered much, much more than our labor in building this country, that we built the architecture of the culture and the politics and even these ideas of equality. Um, And making that argument, I know, for both of us was very important.
5: I respect young people. I don't want to lie to them. I don't want to hide the truth from them. I want to respect how I say things to them. But what I say as far as like there's some hardship that has happened in this world, um, I'm going to always tell the truth and talk about that and and just keep their age at the forefront to hopefully do it in an age-appropriate way. But the actual should we talk about this, that's an easy yes for me. I needed to talk about it when I was a kid, and I, I know the young people in my life do too.
4: One amazing thing about having a a young person living with me that I interact with um, every single day is understanding how early they are grappling with uh, issues of race and injustice and hurt. Um, I don't remember teaching my child about slavery, but she knew about it before I ever introduced her to a text. I think sometimes we forget Our children are getting a framework for the world, whether we are intentional about delivering it to them or not. And I believe that uh, we can either force them to unlearn a poor understanding of our history later, or we can give them the proper tools to learn and engage with it at an early age and engage with it in a proper way.
5: When you are a child and you are trying to get answers to something and someone silences you or or you know that, oh, I'm not supposed to talk about this, that teaches you something. And I, it teaches all children something. So it teaches right. a black child and makes you question, well, am I really experiencing what I'm experiencing? On the playground when that kid... Made fun of my skin or my hair texture. What was that? Why did that happen? But if we can't talk about race or racism, then that child is questioning their actual experience, their lived experience, right? What language will they have to talk about what happened? And likewise, um, non-black children are learning what not to talk about and what behavior is okay to do because it never gets checked and there's never a conversation about it. And so I, I just think it's important to name things and to actually teach young people, this is the world that you have inherited. What do you want this world to be and how are we gonna work towards that world?
4: We're having these dishonest conversations where children are just unprepared for the reality because we are spending a lot of time on erasure. And these are great conversations to have with children as they're trying to form their concept of self and their concept of the world. But instead, we just, we lie to our children so often, and that leaves them ill-prepared for the world.
5: And I also think that it is talking about the painful things and the the tragedy, and also saying You also come from brilliance, the brilliance of black folks and the talent of black folks and how that contributed to change. Um, I think that that is an important conversation to have, especially to young people who might be feeling powerless and teaching them about young activists and artists is a way to help them see themselves as a part of the movement. Um, And that's something that I try to encourage teachers to do all the time. So, no, I don't want you starting necessarily with slavery on the first day of school, you know, I want you to start with the the brilliance of black folks too. In the curriculum, there should be a balance of books that talk about us as regular folks living our everyday lives and also the history and the biographies. All of those stories are important.
3: That was Renee Watson and Nicole Hannah-Jones. Their book is the sixteen
2: nineteen project Born on the Water. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up Support for NPR and the following message come from the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org.
1: There are a couple different delightful moments in this interview between NPR's Rachel Martin and author Adam Rubin about his kid's book, The Ice Cream Machine. Like... I'm not going to tell you how they get there, but they somehow end up talking about shooting gerbils through blowguns. You know, I'll just get out of your way and let you get right to it.
6: A rhino in a tank top jogged down the sidewalk and briefly joined in on a game of hopscotch with two young koalas. An ostrich in a sun hat thanked a frog on a bicycle for delivering her newspaper. Penelope observed the scene and couldn't help thinking what a lovely morning it was in Bayside. She wiped the sweat from her brow and went back to work.
0: I mean, that's good, Adam. I'm in. they are like yeah, animals like playing that? hopscotch. And I should
6: mention that the illustrations of this book are, are really spectacular. And they were done by six different illustrators. Each, each of the stories has a different artist.
0: And why did you want to do that?
6: Well, I think it plays into the whole idea that there are so many different ways to bring a story to life and that mm. every person is going to tell it or draw it differently. So when people have this Worry like, oh, you know, it's been done before, or it's somebody's going to steal my ideas. Like, well, if you are true to telling the story the way you believe or the way that you really feel it should be told, nobody else can do it exactly the same.
0: So, the story about the ice cream eating contest the main character is a young girl. There is a guy in this magical town who wins all the time this annual contest. And they call him the machine. They do. Can you tell me more about this guy?
6: Yeah, so the machine is a large pig, literally, a pig that works at, down at the impound lot. He doesn't have a lot of joy in his life, and he's a pretty salty character. But every year, he comes out of his little shack to dominate at the annual ice cream eating contest because none of the other animals in town can deal with the dreaded brain freeze that comes with eating ice cream too fast.
0: Right. You also write like an interior life for the machine. Like he knows he knows he (laughs) should be friendlier, but he doesn't quite know how. How important is that in developing a character?
6: Gosh, I got some good advice from a writing teacher early on that said, when you write a character, you got to figure out who they are and what they want. Then if you love that character, you will make it hard for them to get what they want. And that's what makes the story interesting. Mm. This pig, he does want to be a friendly kind of guy, but he's he's kind of nervous because deep down, he's like this little nerdy dude that loves to watch the History Channel and talk about World War II. And somewhere along the line, he started making fun of people before they could make fun of him. And and that's just become his de facto personality. And I think at some point, it becomes real hard to change that without a big effort. Part of the concept of this book is-
0: is to prove you can write a story about anything or the same thing in this case, just in different ways. So Adam Rubin, are you willing to do a creative exercise with me? Totally putting you on Oh the spot. yeah,
6: Rachel, let's do it. Let's get creative. <laughs> it's morning. No, no better time to be creative than the morning time.
0: All right, let's give us a go. So I'm going to give you a topic and you have to come okay. up with three different opening lines.
6: Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. I'm glad I had some coffee.
0: Right? All right. Gerbil food.
6: Gerbil food. Okay. Stan tucked his napkin into his collar and stroked his knife against his fork. I'm thinking in this story, he's about to eat gerbils and maybe doesn't know it. You got another one? Yeah, so now I'm thinking of a story maybe where, like, there's some lady, she loves her gerbil so much that she makes, like, little gourmet meals for it and stuff. Mm. So maybe it's like, uh Edna set the tiny table with tweezers, a glass of tiny Chianti, <laughs> a, a, a tiny slice of bread, <laughs> and a perfectly seared veal chop on a minuscule plate. I
0: love that. Like, may- she might be lonely and... Her gerbil is like
6: her confidant. That's what brings her joy. Yeah, that's right. what brings her joy, maybe. You got one more? Um, I I know I'm, this is a little twisted, but I can't help but think of like gerbils flying through the air, either through a catapult or like like some sort, like maybe a blowgun or something. <laughs> so Carl ducked into the bushes with the prey in sight. He loaded the gerbil into his blowgun and took aim.
3: It was grim.
6: Yeah. I still like We got a little dark, but this is what's fun is, The same idea could be an infinite different stories.
0: Yeah. Okay, so this is the thing. The back of this book, the book jacket, is an envelope. So explain what you want kids to do here.
6: At the back of the book, there is an invitation, a very explicit invitation to say, hey, write your story and send it to me. And I put my address in the book. It's printed in there. And if you peek underneath the dust jacket of the book, you will find that it is print it. And if you fold it according to the instructions, you can create an envelope to put your story into. And it's already addressed to me. All you got to do is add a stamp. If I get enough good stories by the end of the school year, I'm hoping to include the best ones in the paperback edition of the ice cream machine. And it would be really cool because some of these fifth and sixth grade kids might become published authors. And I'm thinking like I could buy some big ice cream shaped trophy they could put in the trophy case of the school. Like maybe I'll fly out there and we'll have a little ice cream party. I don't know. I, it, it's hypothetical right now. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am so intrigued to see what comes out of the imagination of these kids.
0: So awesome. The book is called The Ice Cream Machine by Adam Rubin. Six wildly different stories with the exact same name.
1: Adam, what a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much.
6: Always nice to see you, Rachel. Thank you.
1: And that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookoftheday at npr.org. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Nina Rao and edited by Megan Sullivan with help from Mason Tran. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Rina Advani, Jeeva Verma, Megan Kane, Monsi Kurana, Samantha Balaban, Melissa Gray, Alejandra Marquez-Hanse, Gabe O'Connor, and Justine Kennan. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. A new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics. Built to move in. Styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to vioricom NPR.